This podcast is part of the GWC Network. For more information on it or to check out some of our other awesome podcasts, visit us at galacticwatercooler.com. After the tone, enjoy the show. Welcome to Save Eureka, podcast number 47, recorded July 26th with Colin Ferguson. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Save Eureka. Uh, I'm here, of course, with Audra and Juan, per usual, but we have a really cool guest on with us. Uh, Colin Ferguson has taken some time out of his schedule to uh, drop in and, and talk with us. Morning, everybody. How's it going? We're doing awesome. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. And thank you guys for doing um, the, the podcast for this for this last year. It's been uh, um, really nice of you. And, and the support we've had over our final year has been uh, one of the sweetest things that we've experienced. So thanks. Oh, that's awesome to be able to give back even a tiny amount. The, the you know, positive, uh, you know, influence we get from Eureka and, and, and everyone there. Yeah, and we've been able to re-experience the whole thing together just by going through a week at a time, and it's just been a lot of fun for us. Yeah, this last season I think is our best one. I think this season five has just been uh, um, the most sort of, uh, it's been the funniest, it's been the darkest, it's been the the most dramatic. It's my favorite, I I know that. So uh, the fact that it's our last one was sort of cool, you know, to go out sort of saying like, yeah, good, okay, at least we got to do that. Yeah, yeah. And that will stick in everyone's mind at that high point. You know, everyone will remember how awesome it was right up until the end. (laughs) That's cool. Thanks. Hey, we did want to wish you a happy birthday. I noticed that your birthday was a few days ago. So hope you had a good one. Yeah, I had a great one, actually. Very low key. Just sort of stayed by the house. My friend sort of dropped by and, you know, present me with gifts and then leave. It was amazing. It was exactly (laughs) what a birthday should be. (laughs) So like a regular weekend for an actor, right? Exactly, yes. <laughs> I just post, I post my visiting hours and people come by and make tributes. <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, I noticed I was doing a little reading and I noticed that you actually started out in the world of stand-up comedy and improv and started up the uh, Detroit satellite troupe of Second City. And... Yeah. Uh, you know, that is, first of all, it's, congratulations, that's really hard work and awesome. But what actually surprised me is that you seem like a really nice guy. Like when, I, when I've seen you interviewed and, and out. Where's this going, Audrey? Yeah, yeah. And, and I wanted to know, do you think that there's room in in that comedy world, a stand-up and improv and so on? Do you think there's room for nice guys? And, you know, is that different from kind of uh, TV acting in Hollywood or, or elsewhere? Um, I don't think it's different, um, but I do think that there there definitely is room for people who are, um, you know, uh, not selfish and, you know, stuff like that. In the world of improv, um, you find a lot, a lot more nicer people because the whole medium is based upon listening. Um, you have to listen really closely to, you know, the other people on stage. You have to really sort of watch what they're doing because you have to jump in and, and help them out whenever you can, because if you don't, they're not going to help you, you know? So it's really a, a great way to sort of build a healthy ensemble. Having said that, I know a bunch of wildly unhealthy, um, improvising <laughs> uh, so I'm not pitching it as some sort of, you know, promised land. Um, but I do, I, I think, you know, whenever someone and myself included, whenever you lose your temper or you, you, you know, do something that's untoward, it's always a failure. 
you know, it's always, uh, um, you weren't smart enough. You weren't, um, experienced enough. You weren't together enough. So I think, uh, being kind is just something that you shoot for constantly. And, and hopefully as, as you go along and get more experienced and learn more tricks, you figure out more ways to be kinder and get the job done instead of sort of reverting to fight or flight, which a lot of actors, myself included, you know, tended to do when you're younger, you just, you panic and you go, but I can't, it's wrong. Uh, you know, and your, your brain goes into this weird place. So I think it's sort of a sign of people who are um, more comfortable in what they're doing. And there's always a place for people who are more comfortable. Yeah. I I've seen some, uh, some more experienced improv people uh, who would come to town from like, you know, IO or second city just to do a show here. Uh, we're in Dallas and uh, it's amazing how relaxed they are. And you just admire that so much. Like, wow. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, when I was there and, and sort of come up through the ranks and watching the people on stage, um, like when I was at second city, uh, the people on the main stage were, uh, it was Steve Colbert, uh, Steve Carell, uh, Amy Sedaris, um, on in Northwest was Nia Vardalis and Ian Gomez. And like, there, there were so many really talented, currently very famous people ahead of you. And you sort of came up going, I'm never going to get to the, you know, right. they're so calm and they're just, you know, unflappable. And I'm this panicked mess of a human being who's trying to, you know, put together my scene. Um, but, uh, and they were really, really nice actually to us. Particularly, I mean, Nia is amazing. Nia is ridiculously nice. Um, so, so, you know, the bar is sort of set by the people in front of you, I think, and who you gravitate towards. I gravitated towards the people who are very, very kind, um, and as sort of, you know, uh, stars to navigate by, uh, as it were. And, um, through the years, I've always done that. Like I worked with, uh, Ted Danson on one episode of his show, Becker. He wouldn't have any idea who I was or if I was <laughs> even there, but you know, you, you watch someone like that helm a show. And, you know, how um, giving he was and how um, broken down the rule, the, the lines were between because as a guest actor, you show up and you can pretty much be cattle. And that's, <laughs> your job. So you know, you take it, you show up and you're like, well, that's absolutely. I'll sit in this uncomfortable chair all day long. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> but, but he was so great and so inclusive that in seeing that function, you sort of go, OK, good. Well, it does work. And if a man who's as accomplished and talented as that can make it work, then I can try to make it work if I ever get the opportunity. And so I, I, I did take sort of leaders like that into my head at some point and go, okay, well, that's what I'm going to shoot for, hopefully. You know, I know we talked about this once before, but it was uh, it was quite a long time back. And having recently gone through and rewatched all of Eureka getting ready for this last season, I'm really interested in, you know, your initial experiences with with uh, getting involved with the the show and and then kind of how that developed over over time. OK, um, I guess. Yeah. I mean, when it, how I got involved in the show is you start off as a as like in all jobs, um, you start sort of as a bottom feeder. I mean, I was the lead of the show, you know, which comes with its own, you know, um, ability or power or cachet, but you're, you're a hired gun. So you're like any other actor in Hollywood going out for an audition. Um, they agree to, you know, you can make it to the next round, but all of you guys can make it to the next round. So you're still sort of very much, you know, you're trying to do what you're told um, uh, through the audition process and through the pilot process, because you don't want to get fired. Um, 
at the same time, you're trying to show them what you can do. And you're trying to show them, well, like, I know the scene's written like this. And now that we've shot that and it's in the can, I'd like to show you something else. You, you know, and, and you, you start bringing things to it. Um, then over the course of the first, is this too long an answer? No, okay? of course not. We, not at all. <laughs> You're like, shut up, please. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and then over the course of the first season, what happens is, is you, you know, the actors that sort of get the faith of the writers and the producers start getting more written for them. And they start getting more sort of, you know, uh, they'll give you more leeway. So you, you can, you'll notice it the first time you say, you know, wow, this really doesn't work for me. I was wondering if I could change this. They're sort of half listening and they go, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Um, and that's a great moment that you sort of get the first rung in the ladder um, as you're going through the first season. Ultimately, I went to fourth season where I was a producer actually officially on the show. And uh, I think third season is when I started directing on the show. So to me, that said it, that says that it was a really good fit for me, um, Jamie, uh, the executive producers, everybody, the, the network and I really got along. Um, we had a lot of faith in each other and we knew that we knew, we knew that we knew the show we were making. So that could happen. I've been on shows where it isn't that way and it's not a comment on the talent of anybody. It's just people are making different shows and you know, they're constantly sort of battling with each other to make the right show. Um, so that's sort of the, the run of it that, that I went through. Um, and it was so rewarding. I mean, it's changed my life now. Now, coming out of that tunnel of Eureka, you know, you're on a show for six years. You don't talk to a lot of other shows, you know, because you're, you're busy. Right, you're there. right. You come out of it. And right now I'm meeting people all through town. And it stuns me still that people know the show, you know, because these are people I've spoken to for years. Like, oh, great show. And you're like, wow, okay. Okay, so it means something. <laughs> you yeah. know, and... and and I, I don't know, maybe that's really naive or silly of me to, to, I just never assume anything. I just never assume anyone's watching. I never assume that I'm that, uh, but it's nice to sort of go in for meetings and they're like, great, we're excited that you came in. You know, they'll say as I walk through the door and part of my head goes, really? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's maybe, a- maybe you're lying to me, but okay, well, <laughs> let's go forward. It's a, no, no, not at all. I it, it was fascinating to me listening, being a fan of, of a TV program and listening to uh, uh, today. It, we have these great opportunities to listen to podcasts and other resources that you can hear from the writers and from the producers and from the actors and all separately in separate environments. And so, you know, two things so often you'll you'll hear things and you'll you'll hear that push pull and that's interesting uh but also sometimes you know you'll you'll kind of when you find out how the donuts are made the donuts are a little bit less exciting and in this one case wait is that like sausage but but better oh you know better better analogy audra of course okay. better analogy. <laughs> yeah you know you you know you you read how the sausage made you're like yeah, i don't know you know you read how the cakes made you're like ooh, cakes are great and and this is sort of one of those cases i felt like because having heard from uh you know from from people on the show in various areas number one i was surprised by how much uh on the panels at comic-con on on podcasts and everything how I heard the same kinds of things, which to me meant people must have been communicating more. And and also, the more I found out about the program, the more I seemed to enjoy it I, I and, and trust that, that everything was going to go in a place that was wonderful, you know? Yeah, I think we were a group of people who didn't really want to work with 
each other unless it was going to be nice. <laughs> you, you know, awesome. like, and that sounds harsh, but it's like, we didn't want to be a part of one of those really toxic dysfunctional families that, you know, wow, the show's great, but everybody hates each other. Yeah. And, and that it's just too long a day to do that. And we didn't have one personality in the mix who was that way. We didn't have anyone on the show who didn't want to get along. So it was a really lucky, um, circumstance at the same time, it couldn't have been, it has to be some sort of native talent that Jamie has, uh, for, for, it must be right. Like I, like he can't be, he can't be that lucky. Maybe he is that lucky. I don't know. But like, even when he'd throw in like, like Will and Felicia came in, like they fit perfectly in our, in our little family, like really nice people. They're really smart. they wanted to, wanted to be there, wanted to do the work and, and, uh, gave so much that like just dumb luck or really talented casting. Yes. Right. Both everything. It seems yeah. like, you know, I, I, of course we're all, we're all fans of, uh, uh, of, of all the other shows that we've seen you appear on, like, uh, and, and not just all on TV, like, uh, for example, when you appeared on Felicia Day's Flog or on Tabletop or, or the guest on The Guild, you know, and... Uh, okay, the Flog appearance, that yeah, was great. That was your favorite? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did think I was going to, to croquet. I did. That was a real brain. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> I couldn't get it through my head. Like, she wouldn't call me to crochet. Like, you know, I was like, that's... <laughs> This is all going to turn around, right? Like, I'm not actually, okay, I am actually going to use a bunch of needles today. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> like, is that the one where we get on ponies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yet the little object you, you, you turn out actually looks really good. <laughs> well, I'm talented. Oh, I'm a very talented little sower. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> guy. Yeah. I'm good at following direction. I mean, you tell me what to do. It's like, all right, I'll do it. I can, you know. Um, having said that, I did make a bunch of mistakes in the middle and, uh, that, that gal who was there, I think her name was Sarah. She, she undid it as I went to the car and moved my car to put in more, uh, (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Well, the way it came out, the way it came out on our end, it just looked like you, you know, zoomed right through it perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was, I was doing okay, but there was a bunch of sort of evil stitching in the middle that she was like, what is he doing? Just sort of (laughs) pulled it out, fixed it. Not a ton, but enough. Was tabletop as much fun as it looked like it was from uh, from the viewer's point of view? Yeah, it was really fun. And you're never sure what to expect, right? Because when you're doing sort of stuff like that, I mean, the great thing about Will and Felicia is that they're seasoned. So when you get a call to say, hey, I'm doing this sort of online web thing, part of you always sort of gets a little, you know, nervous because they can be so poorly organized. And it means, you know, you're spending eight hours doing something or 10 hours when you could be you know, banging it out in an hour and a half. Um, Felicia was super quick with her flog thing. And, and uh, Will's tabletop was so much fun because he showed up and it was just working like a, like a, what is the expression? A Swiss watch. <laughs> um, they recorded two a day, like one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Nice. And um, because it was Will, they had amazing catering. You know, so you, you show <laughs> Was it all homebrewed beer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, they, he wasn't drinking, which I thought was very odd. I was like, I was like, oh, I thought, you know, he, you know, his show, he'd have some sort of home brew, but he was like, are you kidding? I'm so nervous. Um, <laughs> amazing food, amazing. So, which is cool because you show up and you feel instantly appreciated. You feel instantly like, oh, okay, they're going to take care of me. They actually have food because some of the places you go to do stuff like that, there's nothing. And then when you say, guys, do you have anything I could eat? I'm, I'm a little hungry. They look at you like, oh. 
you need food? How dare you need to eat? Yeah, over the course of 10 hours, I will need food. Do you want me to go? Oh, you can't leave. You can't leave. Can you get food? We don't know. Okay, guys, could, you know, can, anything? A protein bar? Do you have, do you have, you know, so you end up having those discussions, try, trying to get food for people. Um, but the funniest thing about, or the weirdest thing, scariest thing about Will's thing was, um, we're at that moment, if, if, if for those who have seen it, oh, yeah. you know, we're counting, counting up things at the end of the game, <laughs> little, little pieces to see who wins. And Anne, his wife, who's playing with us, sort of makes a joke and does a knee slapping hit on the table and things go yeah. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. They're bouncing off the walls and all of this, because you're never sure of sort of the marital dynamics of a couple, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know if Will's going to lose his noodle just right. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> just explode. And uh, I wasn't sure, because I wasn't sure if they had it recorded. I mean, like, I knew they had it recorded, but I wasn't sure if they had, um, you know, an overhead picture to reset it. So uh, we weren't sure what it was going to mean for us or, or whatnot. Or if we'll, um, they're still married. It, uh, it went, <laughs> and uh, they reset it pretty quickly. But it was, it was uh, a very real, very scary moment for us. Well, I'm always I, I have to admit that I'm really excited about uh, about the blossoming of YouTube. And I'm not sure exactly how structurally all of that came to be. But the fact that we're starting to see such, you know, inspired and, and professional programming. And it just seems like a great opportunity for for everyone. And I know as a viewer, we are, are, are just eating up the new programming. Oh, it's amazing. Like I watched last night. I now find I watch things before I go to bed. Last night I watched um, uh, Thomas Jane did something like a, a Punisher little trailer um, that uh, I think Nathan Fillion retweeted uh, last night. So if you if you follow him, you can you can check it out. It's violent and gory and whatever, but really well done and great. And it's really cool that sort of you know all the actors in town can do stuff like that now. Be it be it vlogs or tabletop or little trailers or short movies. And there's all this content that we can sort of circumvent the networks and broadcast and distribution channels to sort of get out to people. It's really nice that people get free content from people who they want to, to, to watch, or even they can discover people by watching stuff. Like it, it's such a wonderful, wonderful medium. Yeah, we absolutely love that as fans because, like you said, it's more content, it's more connect uh, connectivity, it's more access to what's going on, and it, it feels it feels like a community. And I, I think that I, I was going to ask you, like the social aspect of it. You mentioned Nathan Fillion, you got um, Will Wheaton and Felicia Day, and a lot of these people that kind of everyone kind of knows each other, and you'll see some crossing over from different shows and. I was wondering if that, um, do you think that that's mainly because of the social media thing? Or has it always kind of been that way with people who work on uh, similar, like sci-fi programming or that sort of thing? Um, it, I, I don't think it's always, I think there's more power coming down to the artists now um, because of the, the quantifiable notoriety that you can tabulate from Twitter and, you know, the number of views of a video. So you're not sort of, before you might make something and, and hope that it gets out to people, but you could never really quantify it. You could never really say, Oh, it has 4 million views, you, you know, and really know instantly how well it's doing. Um, now you can. So it is more of an impetus to, to do things because you know that the audience is there and you can actually watch it and say like, Oh, this one hit and this one didn't. And, and, um, 
I really like it. I think it is partially because people who do that sort of thing, like Will and Felicia and, and, you know, I've done some stuff, but they know that I'll do it. Like people know that if they call me, I'll actually show up and it'll get done. And because, and it will, and it's tricky because there's no contract, you know, that, that mm, you have to yeah. know that people are actually going to be there and they're going to deliver because you're, you're spending all this time and all this money. And it's a lot of money to do this stuff. You're spending all this, this effort doing something. You need to know that the person is going to show up, that they're going to, um, you know, do what they're supposed to do and, and really provide something to the, to the program. So in a sense, this rounds back to the first question, which is, is there a place for nice, responsible people? And the answer is more of a place now, because those people, the people you call, you don't call some, you know, loose cannon who's really talented, who you're not sure if they're going to show up or if they're going to show right. up and then just wreck it. Right. I mean, a prima donna or something. Yeah. They don't get to play. So uh, it, it's a really cool, cool time. Sort of maybe, you know, could you could you even make a comparison to the United Artists merger of, of you know, way back in the day with, with, you know, the super legend stars of like Charlie Chaplin and them, you know, people just doing stuff and, and distributing it on their own. Yeah, you know, I, it almost sounds like Eureka in a lot of ways, I, and, and this fascinates me especially as a as a viewer, you know, and I've said this before to you here, and of course I know a lot of other people have said this, that the, what draws us to Eureka over and over was the sense of family and the sense of, uh, as, as you mentioned in a previous uh, time we talked to you uh, for GWC, the, the everybody gets a second chance and, and just this awesome I don't know, positive vibe that came from it made it such a joy to watch. It sounds like it, 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 it's not a, not an accident and B extends into building this community and, uh, and, and will reach far beyond just uh, the awesomeness that we've already had with Eureka. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think maybe if you, if you're tracing a starting point, you'd go get, you'd go back to Joss Whedon, you know, because he, he sort of created the first family um, that we're seeing right now that, and then sort of recast people that he had in other shows and then brought them onto the next show that he did and then did little short movies with them. Like that was such a clear community that he provided for those actors and those, and maybe provided even inspiration for those actors to create their own projects, which they've done, you know, Felicia and, and um, I mean, Nathan's been a part of a bunch of stuff and um, you know, so maybe we are an offshoot of that, you know, the, our little version of it with Eureka where um, we do all get along. I mean, Niall and Neil are roommates right now. How really? weird is that? Yeah. Wow. That is cool. They, they and Fargo live together. So, <laughs> so there's, there's just, you know, we're all, we all, we're all just sort of uh, going about our day. There's no, there's no pecking order. There's, you know, we all try to get each other. When we do conventions, we, we call each other and say, Hey, you know, I'm doing this convention. Would you like to come? It'd be nice to have some company and, and, you know, you should do it. So there's, we're, no one's trying to box anyone out of, um, of opportunities. We're all trying to include, which is, uh, we found a more powerful stance for us. Yeah, that, that is really cool. And, you know, I was, it made me think what you were saying just now made me think about uh, a couple weeks ago at the San Diego Comic-Con, I heard uh, Chris Hardwick say, uh, talking about the Nerdist channel that he's doing at YouTube, that uh, there's this opportunity to create something in a more authentic way, maybe than yep. before. And that really excited me because I thought that's exactly what it is. There's this sincerity, 
and this authenticity to the the creative work that that you guys are a part of and you know like going back like you said to to Joss Whedon there's this kind of um like an honesty about it as opposed to that kind of uh, cynical ironic thing that was just getting out of control you know jaded and negative and stuff and i think that yeah. there's always a place for the kind of thing that eureka was doing and that real sincere kind of vibe. Well, and I'll throw this right back on you guys. I mean, here's what the people at home don't know. Right before we start recording, you know, these guys are on the, the are, were on the horn with me and they're saying, okay, so um, the great thing about a podcast, and I'm quoting you guys back to you now. Um, <laughs> the great thing about a podcast is, you know, we don't have a hard out. We can make it as long as it needs to be. So it's going to be about this length of time. Does that work for you? You know, um, but, you know, we can follow every, every you know, question to its answer, which is simply more authentic. You're not trying to get sound bites in before a commercial, you know, every seven minutes. Right. You can actually have, you know, sort of and, and sort of long. And it's that, that concision that sort of made everything really pat for a long time. It's why I sort of, I think, you know, interview shows sort of fell out of favor because there was no real interview going on. You know, it, it's, it's a bunch of answers that everybody already knew were going to come out and, you know, it's just promoing some product, which is why they're on the thing. So it, it's, it's nice to get stuff where you can tune in and maybe actually learn something, which is what I think a lot of people like to do, or I like to do anyway. Oh yeah. And you know, one thing that has made me uh, an avid consumer of podcasts are, are the interviews, like you said, because they're less interviews and we try to do this, but quite honestly, it's hard because you get a little starstruck talking to somebody that's put on this wonderful, all this cre- have been a part of creating this wonderful material you watch for so long. But, but my favorite shows of that type are the kind that are, are less question and answer and more like a discussion, you know, where, uh, where, like you said, there are no requirements and everything goes in interesting places and you learn about people, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to bring it back to the show, what, how this translates to working on set is when you have, there's, there are many ways that you that sets run and they run, you know, you know, like a military operation, but the way that we ran it was, um, you know, the best idea wins, you know, you're doing a scene. And if the, if, you know, someone has a, um, sometimes the direct on some shows, the director rules and the producer rules, they say, whatever they say goes, everybody just does it. And you don't even think about it because that's the show it is. Sometimes that works because they're visionary geniuses and you're grateful for their input at all times. And other times it just doesn't because they're not visionary geniuses and the product's being dumbed down and whatnot on our show because we had a spirit of openness and communication, the fixes would come frequently, very frequently from the crew, you know, who don't get as much credit as they should. Um, these are very intelligent people who work, you know, 14 hours a day on a set and they watch everything that's going on and they're smart and they're funny. And so they'll sort of go, okay, hold on, hold on. How does that work? If, if, how do we have C if A and B aren't there? Right. And you sort of, okay. Right. No, I see what you're saying. Right. Okay. So if we do this and this, does that fix it? And they're like, yeah, okay, that fixes it. Boom. And then you go in and the thing gets a little better. Um, but again, that goes back to sort of a different approach. It's not sort of a vertically integrated system. It's a horizontally integrated system where everyone not only feels like they can speak, it's sort of clear that their job is to speak. If they, you know, that's why they're there. If there's a mistake, they are to fix it, their department or not. Um, and it makes for a, a much more fun place to be. You know, is and I, 
is that where those I, I feel like in the last season of Eureka, what made it so wonderful for me personally was the fact that that all the relationships developed so much, even in just the last episode. And, and was that a uh, was that this process kind of a factor in that? I mean, making that where I know there there's so much involved, but yeah, I mean, I, I know from the interviews I've done with Jamie, that that's also the way the writer's room worked. Now the writer's room was in LA and we were shooting in Vancouver. So we had our little, you know, fight them and, and they had theirs. And, um, that's from, from what I hear. Absolutely. It was, uh, sorry, a candy land of, of people who got along from, from the, <laughs> that's awesome. the interview. Um, so yeah, I, I would think that that's a part of it. You know, you get a, a group of people who are writing it and getting along so well, that you, that you can't help have that sort of seat into the literature where, you know, every, every, or you wouldn't want to stop it rather, you know, where everybody's getting along and, and, it, and it is a family and sort of that concept is understood where everybody has a job to do. And yet, you know, part of the job is to get along. So, um, yeah, I would say so. Seeing like, uh, seeing like uh, uh, Zane and Fargo connect after the space episode and, and everything just, just uh, the, the people you, you know, you'd most least like, you'd mo- most least imagine would connect in that way fall, you know, develop this firm connection. I very yeah. Eureka, you know? Yeah. And, and, and odd. I mean, you know, you, you do, you cast someone like Nile who's, you know, um, incredibly athletic and, and good looking and Erica who's like <laughs> really great looking and all that stuff. And they're the nicest people you're going to meet, like just sweet and, you know, um, generous and all that stuff. There's not an attitude anywhere, anywhere. Yeah, you know, I was I was going to ask a kind of a follow up question to that. That you can tell that the show and the writers and the whole feel of the show really places a lot of value on character. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, we were talking a few weeks back about the episode. I think the episode was called "Smarter Carter," where Allison's brother comes in and, and Carter's kind of intimidated because he feels like he maybe isn't intelligent enough for his new wife. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting and I wanted to kind of get your take on it because it seemed that maybe in that episode, the show was making the argument that people can get to a point where they actually cross a line with their genius or their intelligence. And when they cross that line, it kind of separates them from their humanity or, or kind of obscures their character, which is so important. And uh, I thought it was kind of a, an interesting argument to be made from a show that is about a town full of geniuses, most of whom are really nice people that we like. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is an interesting philosophical point. And I think later on in the series, they deal with it even more where, you know, the Matrix um, has its say. And it comes out to basically say, you will do more good and harm less if we take you out and you sort of live inside the matrix, which is a valid point. You know, there's a lot less danger. And wouldn't it be better for humanity to have all of these people off the street and attached to a computer? You know, it's a, it's a really good point. You, you know, that, that at a certain point, you know, intelligence um, does the wrong thing because part of being human isn't being intelligent. It's about, you know, doing the wrong thing and being quirky and pursuing life. Mm. Um, I, 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 I like that. I like that a lot. Safety, but at the cost of humanity, not good enough, I guess. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you, um, because the second you start taking a minority of really intelligent people and saying your rights are rescinded because of the good you can do, um, you can't come back from that. 
you know, then it's going to be a minority of your rights are rescinded because of the violence you can do. Um, and, and where, where does that stop? It sort of doesn't stop. You know, your rights are rescinded because you're the bottom 3%. You, you know what I mean? And you yeah. really shouldn't be eating our resources. You have to die. So you, you, that concept, and it's a really funny one to put on, on the top because it's never really done. You know, you never sort of look at the top 5% of a population, like the smartest people in town. Right, you know, right. And say, like, your rights are rescinded because you're simply too bright. It's a, it's, it's, it's a neat twist on an idea, and I think they, uh, they did a good job of it. You know, you mentioned uh, the the Matrix and uh, a bunch of we were talking about this earlier and laughing about uh, the scenes where you had to play like evil Carter in the Matrix. And I was wondering if you kind of enjoyed uh, breaking type for a little bit and just being like, you know, the psychotic AI or whatever. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> being wicked, being like, you know, doing, you know, like how grossly creepy can I be? How like completely obnoxiously awful can I be? And you sort of retain some of the character, where which is you know he smiles and he has a sense of humor, but he's just a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. We creeped us the hell out. Oh yeah, you pulled yeah, that off brilliantly. <laughs> like through Twitter and whatnot, and that's the great thing about Twitter is that you know you know I watch it alone at home or with my girlfriend, and and you know she's wonderfully supportive, but she's not sort of that you know impartial third party. And so to hear on Twitter, like, you know, hey, great app, that sort of creeped me out, though. Hope that's okay I say that. You, you know, it's, it's like, yes, it is. That's great. I'm, I'm, that was my goal. I'm glad that you got creeped out of it. I think you and Joe Morton were like neck and neck in some of those uh, where, where there were the clones. And the clones were all sort of talking in that creepy, like, amoral kind of way. I think you guys were neck and neck as to who could be most creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go with that. I loved what Morton was doing too. I was watching the thing of like how he always had his face, his hand on Grace's face, uh. you know, rubbing her face or sipping her skin. And it was like, you, that's disgusting. You're creepy. Well done. <laughs> you know, we had a pretty big discussion last week about the, uh, about the final episode. And, um, uh, I think, you know, we spent a lot of our time talking about each character and, and uh, where they started and where they ended up and, and, and why. And obviously it, it would be awesome to hear what you think about what, what Carter was missing at the beginning and how, how Carter grew and, and what Carter received in that last episode. Okay. Um, I think my character uh, started out as being very good at his job and uh, very bad at life. Um, he was a terrible husband. He was uh, a very bad father. Um, and not that he wasn't trying, but he just didn't connect. He couldn't figure out a way to, to get through to his wife, get through to his, his child, um, you know, for all the good intentions, just couldn't do it. So over the course of the series, I think you've seen him, um, or we've tried to, to show him, go from that sort of disenfranchised, you know, hard worker to someone who's still good at their job, but, you know, slowly got to, you know, embrace his daughter, you know, and through that unity uh, learned how to be a part of something. And then he got a girlfriend and a wife and learned how to be a part of that. And then finally, ultimately accepted that he is a part of this town and learned to be a part of a community. And so that's sort of his big growth as well as, you know, the, his B plot of getting slowly smarter, which I believe he did. (laughs) 
you know, ever so slightly more intelligent, um, which is great. And, and um, I love that arc. And I love Neely's arc, um, uh, Fargo's arc. I mean, he went from the lowly, hapless assistant. Oh, yeah. Whose function was to make mistakes and, you know, run screaming into the darkness um, to, you know, someone who runs global dynamics, who fights for, defends, and achieves the salvation of the town. I mean, ultimately, Fargo saves the town. That's sort of the amazing journey of the show. Fargo saves the town. In the, he's the one who contacted um, Grant. Uh, so, so Fargo saves the town and gets the girl, you know, at the end of the thing, it, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. To, I mean, how cool is that? He goes from the, the sort of the lowliest position to the guy who runs the town and maintains <laughs> his humanity the whole time. So I, I think there's a lot of cool arcs and cool growth through the show. Did anybody, uh, did any character seem to take a, a rougher path than uh, Henry? It, uh, there was a couple of years there where we, every year we came back and like, why are we picking on Henry? Like, <laughs> the love of his life dies. Oh, the love of his life dies again. <laughs> you know, Let's bring her back and then destroy her before his eyes. <laughs> exactly. And then all of a sudden, throw him, and now you got a wife who you don't know. Good luck, buddy. And then, you know, to fall in love with his wife and then lose it. No, he, he definitely had a rough ride. But Lupo, she didn't have an easy ride. You know, her, her sort of emotional stunted life, you know, and watching her grow as a person um, was amazing. And I think it was really impressive how they did that with the characters. How everybody who was sort of stunted and funny emotionally in the beginning um, maintained their humor and humanity. But at the end of it was more open. You know, she, you, you have her proposing in in the finale and and admitting that she needs someone and admitting that she wants to be with them. And that's a huge step for her. Um, and it was, it, and how cool that Zane could handle it, you know, that he wasn't put off by I'm supposed to, you know, propose and all that stuff. He sort of has a real patience for her, which is lovely. So I think they did a great job with a bunch of the characters. We had always wondered, uh, you know, we always liked Lupo, but we're always a little uh, wary of, of that, you know, she would head off in a, in a given direction pretty easily uh, that might not always work out for everyone. And it, right up until that uh, that decision in, in the middle of season five, where she seems to have committed entirely to the family. And after that, everything just kind of headed toward that end. It was the walkabout that did it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Absolutely. Those were some of our favorite moments as well in the the finale, um, watching Carter and Zoe back on the road. You know the the road that goes out of town, and uh, yeah. kind of reflecting on that that first episode. Uh, and Joe, it was, it getting, was not addressed it. I mean that 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 sort of passing each other in the night. I mean that it becomes sort of a story of the future. I think is really really cool because when when they were discussing how they were going to break the story, you know obviously gets brought up. Are you going to address that moment? Are you going to address that moment, that moment in the beginning where we pass each other on the street? What are you going to do with it? And to have come up with a plot that sort of addresses it as well as close everything off, I think would have been sort of nothing but pat, you know, nothing but some sort of like, and there you go, because the audience would have known right out of the gate what we were doing. Right. You you know, with like, Oh no, we're going to solve it. Oh, I see you're tying in this moment from the beginning. Meh. You know, so but to have it as a reference to what we're going to sort out tomorrow is is I thought pretty neat. I thought a pretty pretty uh, smart way to go about it. Yeah, and we laughed out loud when we saw that moment because it was <laughs> it was perfect. It's like yeah, we'll deal with that later. That's just the right way to handle it. 
the funny thing is we shot that scene in the car maybe I think three times probably we shot it once on the pilot it sucked we reshot it when we went to series it sucked we reshot it again so I mean we shot it we reshot it a year later when we went to series um, then we reshot it again two months later because we needed other pieces that scene in the car there's so but a job you have no idea um, it was <laughs> of our existence, this horrible little scene that we constantly had to reshoot. And ultimately we shot it, you know, we did it properly with a tow rig and the rain and all this stuff and looked terrible. And then ultimately we shot it on a stage with all the lights off with a bunch of grips jumping up and down on the bumper to make the car look like <laughs> And we're just spitting out the words as somebody sort of sprays with a spray bottle on the window. <laughs> It was the most smoke and mirrors thing. And, and, you know, at the end of the scene, we're like, there, good enough. What is it? What? What can we possibly do? Um, but it's those moments where you go back and you redo stuff that you really start to dig in and fight for the characters, you know, because you're shooting something, you're shooting it, and it's not working. So you sense instantly that we're looking for a solution. And sometimes the solution is in the actors, you know, where they, where they can go, I think this is the piece that's missing. And I, that didn't happen then, but it was a sort of thing where you start to go, okay, I have a, I have a job here that I'm not doing. You know, I, I need to, to, to pony up and, and get, get dirty a bit. Well, I, uh, I, I'll admit I teared up a little bit when I found out, uh, when Carter found out that uh, he was going to be a dad in, in the timeline he gets to stay in after waiting so long and so patiently. Well, yeah, and that was a throw to... At the end of the first season, we weren't sure if we were going to get picked up, and we didn't want we didn't want to sort of leave the audience hanging. Mostly, Jamie and Andy didn't want to leave the audience hanging. They wanted to do an episode in the future where people could see where the series would have gone, um, so that if we didn't if we didn't go again, at least people had that. And so, having done that, we had to get back to it by the end of the show. <laughs> that was what that scene was from. That was what that, re- that's a reference to. It's like, that's, that ties into that last episode of the first season where Allison's pregnant. And we go to the future. Um, so, so, uh, I, I love that they were fighting for all sorts of stuff that, that most people wouldn't even need to happen because we changed timelines. People would have said, Oh, well, that's from another timeline. Meh. You know, doesn't <laughs> make- um, but, uh, but yeah. So I like the fact that they do that. You know what else I thought was beautiful about that moment is that Carter's not supposed to have any real memory of that timeline because it was erased by that device. And yet the fact that he has this kind of a deja vu moment, it it was more than just kind of a, a sci-fi explanation or, or something like a merging of two parallel worlds. Like some to connections me was, are so deep that... Yes, yeah. To me, it was a, it was just more emphasis on how... His relationship with Allison, when it's right, you know, and it's so good, it's almost destined that it's going to be loving and it's destined that things are going to turn out well. And you almost see it. it's less of a science fiction kind of technical merging and more of a human merging of of hearts and, and bonds. And, and to me, that's just core to the show. And I love that. Yeah. I think there's some, and I believe in that. I believe that there are truths, you know, that are that sort of we know, but we can't figure out, and we don't really have an explanation for. But they're larger than what we can prove. Um, on a on a sort of a weird side note, uh, over the last year, I've done a bunch of conventions, and uh, there are frequently these talks at conventions by people who invent things, 
And um, like the guy who invented Apple computers, like Woz, there's, a, there's apparently this famous talk that he gave where when he was designing Apple computers and he would hit a wall, he would go back to the original Star Trek and, and sort of see, and the next generation, see how their computers worked on the show and design it based upon that. So it's a weird thing when there's some sort of truth in, in art, you know, that, that this unbelievable scientist and pioneer could sort of look at an art show, you know, something that somebody created who has no sense of how computers should work, but sort of feels a truth about them. And this scientist can go, yeah, no, I share that truth. And you know what? That works. And then they can go and make it. And I think that's an amazing thing about human beings, that, that we sort of have maybe this part of us that, that knows things that we don't know, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're, you're saying. And, and another thing that I love about sci-fi is that it can kind of explore some of those things and, and even precede reality in some ways. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. There's the, the other stories from the, the guy who, whose design was the ion drive that we have now. He was watching Star Trek when he was nine and said, I'm going to make that. <laughs> and I mean, who does that? Every, <laughs> like, you know, as a kid sort of goes like, yeah, I want, I'm going to make, I'm going to be, I'm going to fly a spaceship. This guy says, I'm going to make one and then does. I think that's impressive. And you know, I don't think I don't think we can ever underestimate the uh, just the life influence of the characters that you come to love when you. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I think a lot of us draw, uh, you know, draw inspiration from seeing people do the right thing and 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 do it for the right reasons and and develop their relationships in healthy ways and uh, mm-hmm. it's good stuff. Yeah, I did. I mean, I grew up on, you know, Michael J. Fox and Ted Danson and Bill Cosby and and those guys made an indelible mark on how I think things should work, you know. Um, So then when I go to create a character, you know, there's there are pieces of of all of them that I've I've, you know, done my best to steal um, because they, they were so inspirational to me. So were you stealing more from Marty McFly or Alex Keaton? (laughs) <laughs> no clue. <There's> definitely <laughs> Sam Malone, though. I mean, he's not the brightest guy, you know, in town. So um, that that's. But those are just people who who I love their work, and I loved. I just what their timing and their choices just resonated so strongly with me that I found it inspiring, and and I wanted to do, you know, my little version of it. You know, when I got my chance. So to have worked with some of them is, is, a, is a huge gift. Uh, and to find that they're nice people, is I couldn't ask for anything more. Well, I, we certainly appreciate you putting up with uh, with our interests, our questions. And, and, you know, some people would call it over analysis of a show. We call it enjoyment. <laughs> yeah. But well, you, do, you, do, you rip it apart, right? Like any show you watch, you're like, I don't know, could they have done this better? And, blah, blah, blah. and I think this, I mean, that's the great thing about is about, I think that's the whole reason we have it is that it, it's water cooler stuff. It sparks conversation. So, um, yeah, to, I mean, thanks for, for bothering to want to ask a question. We want to know about the things we love. And, uh, uh, and, and I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to say from all our listeners and our friends that have watched the show with us and, and, uh, uh, all the email that we'd received from listeners who had, who wanted to talk about the show and, uh, and we're are always happy to find a place to do that. 
uh, to say thank you for all of the work that you've clearly put in and, and over a number of years and made a wonderful experience for all of us. Well, you're welcome. I did it all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. I think I, I'm going to have to put that on a T-shirt. Uh, it's water cooler stuff. <laughs> Colin Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been lovely to spend some time and, and to chat about the show. I think doing stuff like this is a great way to close it off for us. Well, thanks again. And uh, uh, as as per before, we mentioned in our previous podcast, uh, we, we have stopped scheduled podcasts with, uh, with Save Eureka because obviously Eureka has been saved by Fargo. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, we again we really appreciate it and uh, we'll see you the next time we have uh, any new Eureka material of any kind uh, or, or someone to talk to from everyone here at Save Eureka and GWC thanks for listening if you'd like to watch Eureka or other fun shows with some of the friendliest people in geekdom visit us at galacticwatercooler.com We'd love to hear from you as well. If you have something to add to the show, give us a call at 214-296-9229. That's 214-296-9229. And follow the instructions there to leave us a message for inclusion in a future podcast. Financial support from listeners like you keep all GWC podcasts on the net each week. To find out how to donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash donate. 